Gia Grieve, good evening, and you're very welcome to The Leap of Faith. In tonight's programme, we'll be taking a closer look at religious responses to the Russian invasion of Ukraine in light of the obscene revelations in Bucha and Vladimir Zelensky's address to the Oireachtas on Wednesday, in which he urged Ireland to continue its non-military support for Ukraine. In a few minutes, we'll hear about the long tradition of non-violence advocated by the Society of Friends, otherwise known as the Quakers, and how they are responding to this war. And we'll also be talking to a young Ukrainian musician who survived an arduous journey and found refuge at Tiglin in County Wicklow. And maybe, if we're lucky, we'll hear a piece of music from him too. But first, I'm joined in the studio by the Most Reverend Dr Michael Jackson, Archbishop of Dublin. You're very welcome to The Leap of Faith. Thank you very much indeed. Delighted to be here. How well do you think is the faith community in Ireland responding? Well, I think that the faith community is responding in a fairly immediate and fairly instantaneous sort of way. We're still at a stage where in this horrible international situation, people are arriving here um, still in the early stages of their enforced departure from their own country. So a lot of things that are happening are happening, you might say, piecemeal. Um, uh, People are offering hospitality, people are offering welcome, people are beginning to raise money and people are beginning to give money. I'll give you a small example. Um, Very early on, we in the Church of Ireland, through an organisation called the Bishop's Appeal, it's not actually an appeal for money for the bishops, it's actually a focus uh, whereby money that's given by people um, are given away. So actually money was given to a variety of centres, refugee centres, if I can use that phrase, where people found themselves fleeing from the Ukraine. And that money is now growing on a daily basis. Um, For the Church of Ireland itself and here in Dublin and Glendalough, our concern would be to work towards providing a place where people coming directly from Ukraine can worship in their own tradition. Because we're heading into a time of year when we're marking Easter and I think that kind of focus is really important to help and what we'd hope to do if we can manage to do it and if anybody listening can help us we'd be delighted we'd be delighted if we could find or encourage to come here a priest in the orthodox tradition of Ukraine who would actually minister to um, the people in Ukrainian Orthodox tradition, we can provide um, a church building, we can provide housing and a stipend, and we can provide a car. That's what we want to do as a practical focus. Not to close down any individual initiatives or responses, but to try and offer something church to church. A couple of weeks ago, Father Mikhail Nazanov, who's the leader of the Russian Orthodox Church in Ireland and rector of the Patriarchal Monastery of the Church of the Holy Apostles Peter and Paul in Dublin, spoke on this programme. And he did not feel that the Patriarch, Patriarch Kirill, deserved criticism. What's your response to that? I know Father Mikhail well. Um, I respect him greatly. Um, I also, I must say... When publicly I pray for the people of the Ukraine, I pray for the people of Russia as well, because I think we need to be even-handed in that way. Um, I think for many people, the um, close 
relationship between the patriarch and the political regime uh, in Russia itself is an intense head-scratching problem. And I know people do what they have to do where they are, but I think the tension in our understanding of how a number of things have happened in the name of religion um, and a number of things that are happening in an indescribable and inscrutable political and military way is something where we're lost and it doesn't yet add up for us. And it may well never add up because I suppose what we're looking at is a form of human devastation, a form of societal destruction and a form of individual and corporate terror that we've never seen in our lifetime. This is a massive wake-up call and I think it's bound to ask questions which are not new to people in Ireland about the relationship between religion and politics. Father Mikhail didn't wish to sign a letter from 280 Russian Orthodox priests expressing opposition to Russia's invasion and nor did he support the Amsterdam parish of the Russian Orthodox Church who left the Patriarchate in protest. What would your feelings be on somebody taking that position of just not involving themselves in this tension between religion and politics? Well, I suppose it's not a new position to take. People take that position in a wide range of different religious traditions. He may well have decided that so delicate is his relationship with uh, Russian people in Ireland and their um, required obedience to the patriarch and the patriarchate that in order to keep things in a sort of balanced tension, his only way forward to continue to minister, dare I say, in 360 degrees, was to take that sort of position. Um, I would know him to be a person of principle. I have worshipped with him in the past, and that would be my suggestion. Thinking um, more globally, thinking at an international level, religious leaders of many faiths, including the Pope and the Archbishop of Canterbury, have appealed to Patriarch Kirill, the leader of the Russian Orthodox Church, to cease his tacit support of the war, to mm. no effect yet. Do you think it's time for the World Council of Churches to eject the Russian Orthodox Church, not just to signal the strength of their protest, but also to protect their own reputation as a body? Well, I think every organisation in today's world where we are um, not only in the hands of the media, but a lot of the response to us is created by um, media sophistication, media reaction um, and media need is going to ask of any community, how can you continue with credibility to support something which is so clearly and so obviously a monstrosity in the direction of humanity, where you're not in any way talking about equals, even if you felt that war was the right thing. To um, call for the ejection um, of the Russian Orthodox tradition from the World Council of Churches would be an absolutely massive step. Why do I say that? I'd say it because there may not be a way um, in the future for the Russian Orthodox Church to feel it could return. And that would leave um, the whole of um, Christianity um, deprived of a very rich, a very 
ancient tradition from which many of us derive comfort, prayer, iconography, all sorts of things. So what I would say is it may be a decision that the members make, but it is a decision that, like, as it were, the decision to stand and offer support to the army has consequences. The decided or the willful ejection of the Russian Orthodox tradition from the World Council of Churches would have significant long-term consequences. So my hope would be that there might be and I'm not talking about an accommodation, I am talking about some sort of arrangement whereby honour was upheld, while at the same time censure was given and understood. Finally, you might comment on a more personal approach rather than um, a, a church body approach, and maybe protest should be directed very specifically at the patriarch, whose sermon last Sunday... Um, one in a long series giving um, sort of theological justification to the war rationalised uh, the the war in terms of this Ruski Mir um, concept of holy, holy mother Russia uh, united because of a sort of divine mandate that it should be. Meanwhile, setting about to kill all these Ukrainians and potentially... Um, others who he might want for a Ruskimir vision of the world. But doesn't it seem a real abuse of a pulpit to preach in that way? Well, it strikes me as a very ambitious line to take um, and to offer. I myself, and I think you're asking me a personal question as well, I myself would not take that understanding of uh, Christianity. It's not that I'm not um, accustomed to what you might call a national church, because I've worked in the Church of England for eight years. But I think if we tunnel down into Christianity, um, we actually move beneath and beyond uh, nationalisms, which are of themselves narrowing of people's understanding and of people's lived generosity. Archbishop Michael Jackson, thank you very much and please stay with us. We're now joined in the studio by Aubrey McCarthy and Yaroslav Bilus. Aubrey founded Tiglin, which has a Christian ethos to help those affected by addiction to find ways to restore their lives. In the past couple of weeks, the charity has housed around 100 people from Ukraine at a new residential centre in County Wicklow, Yaroslav among them. Aubrey, how are you helping to accommodate Ukrainian refugees in Tiglin? So Siobhan um, Tiglin was um, initially started as an addiction uh, centre and over the 14 years, it has sort of morphed into different areas where we well help women that have come from trauma. We s still have the homeless outreaches, the cafes, and we also have the rehabilitation centres for people in addiction. But um, in January this year, I completed the purchase of a the old YWCA building in Greystones. And it's a beautiful building. And um, the plan was to set up women's transitional housing there. And then we also uh, purchased on the facility a retreat centre. So the retreat centre was for people to get away with their families, to, to take time out. So 
when we purchased it, literally, I mean, five minutes later, um, the Ukraine crisis happened. And we just said, OK, is there anything we can do here? So I rang Liam O'Dwyer, who's the head of the Red Cross, and I said, well, maybe we can take a family. And um, he said, Aubrey, it's a big need. So I said, maybe two families? So we now have up to 100 people on site um, from 24 families and um, amazing people. And I hear that the youngest is nine months old. We have 31 people under the age of 18. So Yaroslav will tell you his own story, but he left Ukraine three days before his 18th birthday, so he would have had to stay otherwise. And they all arrived on St. Patrick's Day, two greystones, and um, I I didn't know what to do, Um, so I rang one of Archbishop Michael's um, principals in greystones, uh, Rachel Harper, and she's from a school called St. Patrick's, so I expected her to give me advice. She took it to task. She got all of the kids into school the following Monday morning and also um, Temple Carrick School as well in Greystones. They have adopted all of ours. Um, Yaroslav, what was the atmosphere like in Kiev before you left? Uh, before I left, um, the atmosphere was quite strange. Everyone uh, felt that something better, bad is going to happen. And... Tell us how you came to leave. Was that your own idea or were you encouraged by your family to get out fast? Um, I was encouraged by my family because like, we left Kiev and then we were stuck in the village near the Kiev because of Russian troops and bombings. And then we like, my birthday should be uh, in five days when we left the village where we were stuck. And we travelled to the Ternopil, it's West Ukraine. And then my father and mother said, you will be 18, so they won't let you out, so you should go. Tell me more about that journey. You, How did you get to the plane where you, you travelled um, all the whole, you went from Kiev, west, across Ukraine, by train? No, no, by car. By my car. father and mother, we all left uh, the village by car. And what happened next? Uh, then they uh, bought me a ticket by bus to the lots. There, my uh, the friend of my mother uh, taken me to her house in Krakow. And then I, in one week, I bought a ticket to the lots back and come back and with my aunt and grandfather and mother, we left lots by plane here. How did you end up in Ireland, of all the countries? Uh, that was because of my aunt, that like, she was working here 15 years ago, and she like she knew that some, some traditions, some things she knew, and she decided to go there. And my mom said, if you want, you, you can go with them. And did you know anything about the place? Had your aunt spoken about her time in Ireland before? I've heard about St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that your mother and your sister have now arrived in Ireland as well, but that your father is still in Ukraine. That must be difficult. Uh, yeah, that's very difficult. But uh, the father said them that there are sirens here and some bombings, so they like should go because of the sister so he said to mother go and can you still speak on the phone are the phone lines and sure. all that intact yeah, yeah. 
Good. I believe um, you've been persuaded to perform something on the piano for us. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> Could you tell us what it's called and why you picked this piece? Uh, that's The River Flowers in You uh, by Japanese composer. So uh, that's the melody I liked from my, like, st- starting of my studying musical school. Um, I-, I don't know what's what's in it, but it... Uh, I I feel it good for me. It's like the the best melody I heard. So Yaroslav, thank you very much. If you would like to go to the piano and play for us, the river flows in you. Gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. Isn't that great? Beautiful. <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. The uh, conservatory in Kiev, where you've been undertaking your studies, must be very proud of you. And I find it quite moving, sitting across the table from you, to think, here you are playing the piano when you could just as easily be fighting in the war in Ukraine. I'm very sorry for all those who are and I'm very grateful that you're here and I hope you find a piano soon thanks 
The Quakers have been vocal in protesting the war, and in a moment we'll talk to Professor Rachel Muirs. But first of all, we go to Bewley's on Grafton Street, one of Ireland's famously Quaker families, and to Col Campbell. Col, I hear you're selling Red Cross buns. We are. We, we, it's, it's buns for funds. <laughs> and we're, we're, we're trying to raise money for the Red Cross to support the, uh, the refugees. Like the Bewleys themselves would have come to Ireland uh, because of the persecution uh, that they had suffered um, previously. So they arrived themselves as refugees. And then in, in 1956, the Russians invaded Hungary and the Hungarian refugees came here. And Victor and Alfred, the two brothers, they, they jumped in the, the delivery van and they drove up to Wicklow to what's now Glen Cree uh, Peace and Reconciliation Centre, but the, the Hungarians were initially housed there and they, they went to them and they said, you're very welcome to Ireland. How can we help you? And out of that then, some of the people, some of the uh, family stayed in Ireland and worked in, in beauties in the bakery. Um, and so last year we had been thinking about, you know, uh, people coming to Ireland and what help and practical support they'd need uh, in the sense of giving people a hand up rather than a hand out um, and, and looking at people who have so much less than us and people who, who have suffered and uh, that they would, um, you know, to be, to be able to put, the, put their fates back in their own uh, hands, you know, like that they would, uh, they, they, we would be able to give them uh, training. In the hospitality business, we, we have lots and lots of, of skills that are transferable, not just applicable in beauties, but, you know, even to train as a barista, train as a baker, uh, train as an engineer. The things that we do uh, that we can give people and that they can, they can do something with, they can make something of that. So, um, um, Carl, in addition to um, offering training opportunities and the links to employment, um, I believe you're also offering further practical help by uh, having interpreters in the cafe. That's right. We've two people on on the team that the um, mother and daughter that uh, they're Ukrainian. They came to to Ireland about fifteen, sixteen years ago, um, and they're available there. And it's been amazing. Like since the coverage started at the start of the week, like just the, the amount of people who've come in. And this is really what we we kind of at the heart of it all. You know, like and, and, uh, Archbishop Jackson mentioned faith and action there, and that's very much a, a Quaker ethos. To, to, to take action. We've had dentists, we've had doctors come to us and say, I'd like to help with this. Is there anything that, that we can do? And I hear that the, the sales from the Red Cross buns will all be, all the profit from that will be going toward the, the Red Cross, which is a fantastic take on the um, hot cross buns at Easter time. That's um, right. Buns for funds. <laughs> buns for funds. <laughs> Cole Campbell from Bewley's Cafe on Grafton Street. Thank you very much for telling us about all that you're doing for the uh, refugees this week. Professor Rachel Muirs is a Quaker theologian and Professor of Theology at the University of Leeds. She has recently been appointed as the new Chair of Divinity at the University of Edinburgh. Rachel will be the first woman to hold the post. And I imagine the first Quaker too. Rachel, you're very welcome to The Leap of Faith. One of the things that I've noticed um, from your social media 
that you have been able to do is to spread the word about what's going on in Ukraine and in Russia, and particularly to spread the word about opposition to the war that does exist within Russia. How much opposition do you think there is, and how do you become aware of it? Well, this is um, this is difficult. I would say that probably one of the the bravest things to be in Russia right now is a pacifist, right, or somebody mm. who's who's opposed to the war. Given the um, very um, a draconian legislation that's been brought in, um, imposing long prison terms on on people who are um, found to be. Um, spreading um, publicity against the war, which can include simply even calling it a war. But there are people doing it. Um, Folk may or may not be aware that there are Quakers in Russia, Um, not a huge number, but there's a Quaker presence in Russia, Friends House Moscow, established over many years. Just saw recently they're um, trying to spread information about, um, for young men who want to um, refuse to fight or want to um, uh, refuse um, conscription, um, which obviously is potentially very, very, very difficult, but very, very important, a very difficult stand to take. Um, but obviously, um, it was mentioned just earlier um, in, in your conversation with the with the Archbishop, the um, the letter um, signed by um, Russian Orthodox priests to Patriarch Kirill um, opposing the war. Um, a lot of the priests who signed that are in Russia, um, so it was, I think, a significant act of courage for them even to put their names to to such a document. And um, we know that um, one of them has since been arrested uh, for um, preaching an anti-war sermon. Um, so it's 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 really important, I think, to keep remembering that there are um, alternative voices within Russia and to keep um, lifting up and supporting those voices in, in any way that they can. And you yourself have signed um, a statement in protest at the war. Yes. So um, this is a, a statement um, by theologians in solidarity with um, those in the Orthodox Church um, who are speaking out very strongly against this risky mere, this Russian world doctrine that you were talking about earlier. So there's a, a major statement that was drafted. Um, well, one of the principal drafters is, is based in the UK, an Orthodox theologian called Brandon Gallagher. Um, and, and he and his colleagues um, put out um, a statement um, very strong, basically saying that this conflation of um, Russian nationalism and Orthodox Christianity um, is simply wrong. It's unchristian. It's unorthodox. And, and their statement has attracted an enormous amount of international attention and support. And um, some of us who are, who are not Orthodox felt that we really wanted to um, express support for it. Um, and so, so, so that's what we've fortunately been able to do. Um, it's one of the reasons it's important to me is because I've done quite a lot of work on the theology of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and um, the um, anti-Nazi theology in Germany of the 1930s, 1940s. And this statement by by orthodox theologians against the Russian world doctrine is really very similar to the kind of stand that the, the anti-Nazi Christians in Germany had to take, to turn around and say that um, associating a church with this kind of aggressive nationalist ideology um, is simply wrong. Um, it's against Christianity. It's something um, against which we have to take a stand. Professor Rachel Muirs, Professor of Theology at the University of Leeds, thank you very much for joining us this evening. I'd like to thank all my guests on this evening's programme. 
And please join us again, this time next Friday night 